Patreon.com slash the walk-off podcast. Uh, $4 a month gets you in there. Baseball, Blue Jays, and more baseball. It's the walk-off with Scott Belford and Adam Mack. This ball is crushed. The diehard podcast for the casual fan. And another one. My goodness. All right. Welcome to episode 210 of the long toss here on the walk-off it's been a minute i'm adam mack joined as always by scott belford scott let's see that hawaiian shirt buddy there we go hey i got my uh i don't even want to ask how much that cost you oh no this was a cheap one this was a cheap one i mean i still overpaid for it but uh no i didn't i didn't (laughs) jump off the deep end or anything no no, it's good to be back. I know uh, we missed last Sunday. So again, uh, thank you to our panel for joining us and just rolling over the next week. And thank you to everyone in the chat for joining us and putting up with the fact that uh, we we missed a show. Uh, glad to see everyone back on board. So uh, yeah. Very good. All right. Uh, some familiar faces, some new faces. I'll start with the familiar ones. Baseball Jen, how are you doing? I uh, I tweeted something a little over 48 hours ago that kind of went viral and uh, I've responded way more than I feel I probably should have and have been called every name under the sun by people who purport to support free speech. And so that's been fun. Well, this is going to be a fun two hour conversation today, so can't wait to get into it. Uh, Garth. Nice to see you. How you doing? Oh, uh, unlike Jen, I I had none of that the past two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no sarcasm uh, detector going off there at all. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm well, I'm well. I'm glad. It's great to see you guys again, as always. All right. Very good. Uh, new faces, Jack Landau, uh, news reporter, reporter for the blog TO. How you doing? Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so I, I I can join the uh, chorus of people that have had some interesting comments in the last few weeks. Well, I'm sure we'll get some more interesting comments on tonight's episode as well. Uh, and then in the other corner, we've got in the Nordiques shirt. You got to show that Nordiques shirt off for nice. us. Here we go. Nice. Scott MacArthur, uh, Exit Philosophy. Great name for your baseball <laughs> podcast, by the way. How'd you come up with that? Uh, that's actually my topic uh, that we'll get to a little later, but it's uh, I'll d- just quickly say it's a combination, obviously, of the exit velocity hitting metric. And then because I'm co-hosting it with Richard Griffin and we have both, uh, I, I want to say gracefully, made our exits from the mainstream, uh, there's an exit philosophy behind that, and we each have our reasons for having done so. So, so that's the name. And I just want to uh, add a. It's it's great to be on. Uh, it's wonderful to know that I was your 210th choice. So uh, <laughs> usually, usually in my life there are 209 better options. So I'm glad to fit in at 210. And um, I too, like Jen and Garth, uh, made a number of new friends. Over the last couple of weeks, I, I think a lot of them emanate from Sergey, who's running the troll farm in Rostov Oblast, and uh, probably some Elon bots as well, with a lot of blue check marks. Uh, but mm. but the real people I met, good to know you. New friends. What a toxically positive way of putting that. 
<laughs> uh, phenomenal stuff. Okay, we do got a lot to talk about today. Uh, we're going to break down the Jays series with the Twins. Uh, that was a sweep that could have gone either way this weekend. Uh, we're going to talk John Schneider, temperature check on him, overmanaging or overreacting. Uh, playoff series are one on pitching and defense, but do the Jays need a bat to help get us there? Uh, it's unavoidable. We're going to talk the pride weekend and the Anthony Bass of it all. So might just lead with that one. Uh, Brandon belt down with a hamstring injury. Who's the call up. And, uh, just for fun, let's get to Luis Arias and, Boy, if this guy goes two for five all weekend long, his batting average goes down. What the hell? How do you hit 400 uh, this far into the season? Pretty incredible stuff. So, okay, um, let's start with the game that we all just finished watching. Kevin Piggio, of course, the hero that we all deserve. Uh, Jen, let's start with you. On, of course. <laughs> on, uh, because I know you and me go way back on Kevin Piggio. Uh, this is the new age hot seat version of Gavin Biggio. Swing hard just in case you hit it. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this weekend and uh, Gavin Biggio specifically? Well, first of all, good for him for, you know, hitting that home run today, right? Um, the, the Jays needed somebody to step up to the plate quite literally uh, and, 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 you know, snatch a victory from the jaws of defeat. And he did just that good for him. Um, he's got some pop in his bat this year, but every other thing he's been touted for doesn't seem to quite be there anymore. So I, I still stand where I stand on Kevin Vigio. Um, but this felt like a very winnable series. They had a, no business losing yesterday's game um, from what I could see. I didn't, I didn't watch the game, but I did my Jason 30 and all that jazz. And uh Definitely, they should have won that game. And I was at Friday's game, which felt very winnable. Um, some really terrible at-bats from Matt Chapman and Brandon Belt. Um, really horrendous swings that I could see from the 500s <laughs> as being just absolutely abysmal. Um, you know, interesting bullpen choices. But I'm, I know that that, of course, was, you know, related to to, to Saturday and, and the bullpen day that was there. Um, and yeah, it just seems like this team can't gain any momentum, right? You know, they, they, I, I would not have predicted that they would have taken three out of four from Houston. Uh, and the one game being they lost being the, the Manoa meltdown, of course, um, mm -hmm. you know, but you go from taking three out of four from the world series champions to, to losing some winnable games here. So I don't know if, if, or when they're going to get that ball rolling. Garth, you want to chime in on? Your thoughts with the this weekend? Well, I mean, like you guys know how I feel about Kevin. I mean, he he's never been able to consistently put it together for any stretch of time. He has these moments, uh, and that's all he seems to be at this moment. He's a what is he 20, 27, 28 now? That's yeah, twenty. He's been in the league twenty eight. Yeah, and this is who he is. He, he's a bench piece on a mediocre team at best. Like he, he's not a guy. If we have any aspiration of winning the world series, we need better bench pieces than Kevin Biggio. Um, yeah. He, he ran into one today. Good for him. It was, it was a critical point. Awesome. And, you know, beers will be on teammates tonight, but Kevin Biggio's OPS plus is still like 
what, 68 hovering around something like that. I mean, that's not ideal. You, you know, you, if you have a bench piece and a utility guy, you need them to be kind of hovering around that 100. Um, and, and yeah, Jen nailed it. Like this whole season has been just no consistency. Like we'll, we'll have a great stretch of eight games and then we'll have a shitty stretch of eight games. And meanwhile, we have Tampa, Baltimore, the Yankees, like all doing their thing. And we just are not, we're not gaining anything on those guys. And when we play those guys, we get our asses handed to them. So, you know, how are we supposed to make up any ground? Yeah. Like we beat the bad teams that we're supposed to, but like when it comes down to, we're not going to come anywhere near a division title when we can't beat any teams in our division. Uh, I just want to jump in guys on Please. the, on the Biggio home run and, and don't uh, mistake if that's a word, what I, what my intention is here when I say this, because baseball really is a game of capitalizing on mistakes. Everybody and their dog knows how to get Kevin Biggio out. That's with heat at or above the belt. And if you go back and look at that pitch, and again, capitalizing on mistakes, that's, that mm -hmm. is the job of a hitter. It is very difficult to hit a baseball. If you look at that pitch from Pagan, it was lower quadrant of the strike zone, you know, bottom, bottom third of the strike zone and right in the wheelhouse, right? Left-handed hitters typically are low ball hitters, and he put it right where Kevin Biggio could get the barrel of the bat on it. And Kevin did his job in that moment. But I guarantee you, they probably scrum Pagan, the Twins beat writers post-game, and he would have just looked, if he was being honest, he would have looked right at him and said, I missed my spot. You know, so good on them. They needed to win that game. Friday was uber frustrating because of all the issues they're having hitting with runners in scoring position. <clears throat> Saturday, yesterday was obviously a meltdown. Uh, with with some relievers that you probably wouldn't otherwise use if you had your bullpen completely lined up how you wanted it to. Um, and it gets them back on track. But uh, I think episode 211 and episode 212 will be in first the middle of a crucial road trip and then coming off of this big road trip. They've got two really tough teams in Baltimore and in Texas. And then they go to a Miami team that you can't sleep on. So uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about over the next 10 days this team needs to find it and it's probably good they're getting out of town just given all the crap that's gone on uh, as a result of their front office's mishandling of some off the field stuff yeah I think with Biggio um, it, it's really frustrating to see as, as great look that was a great home run good for him um, but it's it's frustrating to see his struggles uh, as you know the son of a great ball player uh, someone that, you know, grew up with access to great resources. Uh, it's watching Biggio is, is really akin to being in kind of a bad relationship where you occasionally get a glimmer of hope and you're like, oh, maybe I should sink more cost in this. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> but this was, yeah, this was a frustrating series. There were winnable games. There were moments that we should have had. And uh, it's just kind of the story of the season. I wonder too, guys, and and Jen, I'll try not to say guys. <laughs> um, if if part of our view of Kevin Biggio is based on the expectations we had of the three, 
as they came up yeah. together through the minor leagues. And it was always Bo, Vladdy, and Cavan. And they were all coming up together around the same time, all sons of former ball players, two of the three, Vladdy and Cavan, sons of Hall of Famers. And it was all just going to be wonderful and lovey-dovey for the next decade. And, you know, Keith Law was all over it right right from the get-go. Uh, he's the one that really stands out to me as saying, look, Cavan might not be a big league ball player here, not even a fringe guy. Um, so, you know, Bo has been the best Blue Jays position player this year. Vladdy has underperformed offensively, is a terrific first baseman and, you know, has pedigree. I just wonder if this is what Cavan is and our expectations based on the hype machine as the kids came up is what leads to this disappointment now. I think we did put him on a pedestal. Uh, that is definitely a factor. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I think we've seen enough of him <laughs> to know that this is who he is. That's oh. where I'm at on on him, too. I mean, yeah. he's 28 years old, and Garth touched on it, right? Uh, once you hit that 28, 29, 30, you turn the baseball card over, and more or less, the career numbers are going to be what you can expect. So we kind of know what Kevin is. He does hold value as a bench piece and a guy who can play all over the diamond. And I mean, we've seen it even in the last week, him be able to fill in defensively at some spots and really help this team out. And you love seeing him run into some, but to expect anything more than we've seen out of him, I think you're just setting yourself up for disappointment when it comes to that. That's for sure. Okay. So I, I don't want to necessarily say Kevin Biggio is the savior of our team, although he was today, but the, the player that we need to be directly comparing him with, who he's competing with for playing time, is Santiago Espinal. Espinal was an all-star last year. Slow start this year. It's really tough to stay hot when you're playing twice a week. right? Espinal went down with a little bit of an injury, missed some time. He is back now. But this has kind of shown Kevin has had a little bit of a resurgence to his bat, to his game does have a little bit more defensive versatility career numbers it's not like espinal is a world beater who's been crushing for four years and now has had one off season he has a limited sample size as well of being good so what's everyone's thoughts on espinal relative like frame it related to uh being a direct competitor for kevin biggio for playing time jen let's start with you again are you asking me which one is who I'd rather have out there for the rest of the season? Let's put it that way. Uh, is there an option C <laughs> with Merrifield? There you go. Yeah. So uh, when you actually started the question, I thought you were going to compare him to, to Merrifield. Cause that was, uh, I, I saw some tweets. Well, what Merrifield's a borderline full-time outfielder at this point. Sure. Um, To, to be, this is a difficult question to answer because I don't think either one of them moves the needle on the season whatsoever, right? I don't think they move the needle for this lineup. Um, and I know it's going to come up, but they need a bat. They need somebody in that lineup who can provide some protection for Vladdy, um, somebody who can just have better at bats. Um, would I rather see Cavan or would I rather see Espinal? I actually think I'd rather see es Espinal. I've been on the Keith Law train for quite some time with regards to Biggio. And yes, 
He seems to have more power this season. But like I said, the other tools that he was touted for don't seem to be there anymore. And I'm just not really sure, you know, what running him out there even more often is going to do. I just think we know who he is at this point. Yeah, I feel the same way about Espinal and Vigio. Like, I think they're both bench pieces. And as soon as you start playing them more and more, giving them more and more reps, you're just going to expose them to their weaknesses. They both are weak in different areas. But, you know, I, I think you ride the hot hand while you can and kind of whoever's so going to, to give you the Leonard best at bat. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I said... I said at the beginning of the year, they should have traded Espinal when the, he was high. He was an all-star, but like everybody who watched a lot of Jays games saw it for what it was. He put together a really hot two months at the beginning of the year, and then everybody just fell in love with him and thought he was like our second baseman savior. And it, you, I don't know. like If my options are Espinal or Bezio, I'm just going to like call up Otto Lopez, see what he can do if he can get, you know, three weeks of consistent at bats. Like we have these guys that are, you know, the 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 four A, the quadruple A players that are always up and down, but we never seem to give them any run. You know, we put we call up Luke's or Lucas. He sits on the bench. You know, we Mm -hmm. call up Clement. He sits on the bench. Like, what's the point of calling these guys up if you never let them even? with consistent playing time like Bezio and Espinal have both had that in their career and neither of them set the world on fire so I mean we have guys in the minors just give it a shot what what, what can it hurt like are they gonna hit are they gonna hit less than they have a lower you know uh, um like lower numbers than than Espinal like Espinal's batting of what 200 Bezio's mm-hmm. around 200. Like, I, I guarantee if you put Otto Lopez in there for two straight weeks, he's probably going to be able to hit around 200. And he's still great defensively, too. So, um, for the record, Santiago, just because you mentioned uh, Espinal had a good first two months to start the season last year and then kind of disappeared, uh, did make the all star game. This time last year, he was hitting 298. Uh, and then after this point, he hit 239 the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. Home runs. So about Adam, two really good months. Yeah. And Adam, to your point about you can't get hot when you're not playing every day. Well, I mean, Espinal was not the same hitter he was in the first half, the second half of last season. But I I think, you know, because they they wanted to do the hybrid deal with with Whit Merrifield. Um, he was going to get a lot of reps at second base and he he almost literally did not hit for the first six weeks of the season before he came down with that injury. So it uh, I'm, I'm with you on the once twice a week, or maybe if you're a platoon guy, who's, who's on the wrong side of the platoon, cause you hit right. You got to wait for them to start a left-handed pitcher. You get a late pinch hit opportunity against a tough lefty reliever. I understand that your, your playing time may be sparse, but he played at least offensively. He played his way out of the playing time that he had. Good point. I think I'm going to agree. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go Go ahead, ahead, Jack. Jack. Finish your thought here. 
I was just going to say, I agree with everyone's call for an option C. Uh, I, I really don't have much faith in either of them at this point. But yeah, if the choice is binary, 100% going with Espy. Like, we have seen him at his best, and we have seen Biggio at his best. And come on, like, no question. Um, that being said, yeah, they're they're both unreliable players when it comes to hitting. And uh, it was up to me. Yeah, option C, minors, uh, roster moves, anything. So I did wish to go to chat here really quick because uh, there's an interesting thing being brought up here, and I am really curious on on the panel's opinion on this. It's from Chucharoo, and he says, I think it's still a chance that they are sellers at the deadline. Division is long gone, and wild card is less than 50-50. So before, before I throw to you folks here, I do wish to just push back a little bit here on that because I don't think personally there's almost any possible way that this team is sellers at the deadline. And my reasoning for this is very simple. Ross Atkins is on the hot seat right now. And this is probably his last year as general manager unless they go at least to the division series would be my guess. So if that is the case, there's no way in my opinion that he doesn't do what Anthopolis did in 2015 with his back against the wall and start pushing some chips in. Now I'm not saying Shapiro is going to give him carte blanche to just do whatever he wants. And we all know how collaborative they are as, as a front office, but that said, the guy's job's on the line, even if the Jays seem out of it, you would think that he would make an attempt to at least put them in the dance and give a chance to save his job. Uh, would love to hear what you think on this. Let's start with you, Scotty. Uh, I disagree that Ross Atkins is on the hot seat because I think he's super glued to Mark Shapiro and, uh, as we've learned in the last couple of weeks, the culture and the values um, are not exactly uh, what they wish to portray them when they only have to use words to describe them. Uh, so I don't believe he's on the hot seat. Although if you're suggesting Scott, that he should be, I am absolutely 100% with you on I'm that. Curious, I'm be. curious. I'm curious why you think that he's, uh, he's super glued to Shapiro. Like you he's, think a, there's... He's, he's a shield for the president. He's a shield. Mark Shapiro didn't speak up in the last two weeks because he wants Ross to be the face of the team. And Ross Atkins hid like a scared child because he wants John Schneider to handle all this stuff. So you don't and, think his job is on the line? Like you don't think I don't, I don't Shapiro at all. either. His job is on the line. If Mark Shapiro's job is on the line and I don't believe Mark Shapiro's job is on the line. And I will add that there is no way this team can sell at the deadline because they are issuing, in some cases, 100-plus percentile increases on season's tickets for people who have held lower bowl seasons for decades dating back to Exhibition Stadium, and they can't puke the bit now and, and anger the fan base any further. There's the combination of, of that with the fact that there are three wildcard spots now in the American leagues and obviously in both leagues. So you don't, you don't have to, you're not scratching and clawing for one wildcard spot or for two to play that play in game under the more, the more recent rules. The problem they have is that, well, we've been talking about what they need to do to address second base. 
We've touched on the fact that they have no bench. Mm-hmm. We've yet to touch on the fact that they are a Kevin Gosman injury away from unmitigated disaster in yes. that starting rotation. And they have a shaky bullpen. So there is a lot of work to do between now and the end of July, start of August, if if they are going to vault themselves, in my view, into legitimate World Series contenders. But they will be in that playoff conversation all season long. I mean, for one great point about expanded playoffs, they are going to be contenders barring any sort of disaster. I think right now they are um, a game and a half back of the final wild card spot. Uh, Orioles, Yankees, Astros, and then the Blue Jays, I believe. Uh, half a game back of Houston now. Um, behind them, Angels, Red Sox, Mariners. Yeah, I'll just, I don't know. I'll, like, I'll just add, guys, and I am swear I'm not going to hog, but I've Please, been a radio host for 20 years, and I end up just vomiting for hours and hours, so you got to <laughs> contain me. Alec Manoa having the year he's had has really thrown a wrench in a lot of things. You, yes. you know, you can't, and, and it's, it's that, that's not me crapping on Manoa because this stuff happens, right? It could have been an injury and they could have been mm-hmm. without him for two months as a result of injury, but him pitching like this, where he not only wasn't pitching well, but he wasn't even getting them into the fifth or sixth with a chance to win the game. You know, you might be down four to two, but you still got a chance halfway through the game to come back. The fact that he has pitched as poorly and has had to be sent away just to sort of recalibrate for a while has really messed things up. So yeah. let's let's I, talk I, Alec I, Manoa I, then. Garth, go ahead. Well, <clears throat> I mean, we, we've seen this with, before with pitchers. We've seen it before with pitchers in our organization. Uh, it happens. But, like, to, to go – to further what Scott was saying is like I said, you don't need five starting pitchers. You need eight or nine starting pitchers. I have said this numerous times on the show. Shit happens over 162 games. You know, a guy might get the yips. A guy might uh, get shoulder fatigue. You might get any of this. Like when our best option is Mitch white, Casey Lawrence, or whoever else we can like vomit up from triple a, like, it that is one of the reasons why I think Axons should lose his job. Like mm-hmm. the lack of ability to address our starting pitching. Like, yeah, we've made good signings. We, you know, I thought Ryu was a good signing. Gosman's been a great signing. Bassett's looked good for us, but we have no organizational depth. We lose a guy, we bring one guy in. You know, we're not lose one guy. We should be bringing four guys in because we just, we don't have anybody that can, you know, like we had to start Trevor, uh, Trevor Richards for a game. Like it's just unacceptable for a team that has these aspirations of being a world series contender to just think that, yeah, all five of our starters are going to be awesome all year and never miss a start and never have a rough stretch. And it's just the balance. Sorry. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, you go, go ahead. I, I it's just get the balance. About pitching depth. Like when you look at the balance of the roster, like we have we have a roster north of two hundred million dollars right now. Like mm-hmm. that's that's most like, they've ever spent, by the way. Exactly. Yeah. It is it is record spending, and it is you know what I was impressed at going into the season. Uh, but the reality is, when you're spending over two hundred million dollars, 
and you have five starters and like one of them's Yusei Kikuchi that, you know, we just got lucky with this year. Like not to discredit the hard work he did in the off season. He, he has had an amazing turnaround, but like we really, we banked on everything working going into this season. And the minute one thing stopped, it just so happened to be one of our biggest chips. Yeah. The, the wheels come off and, and you cannot spend $200 million without having fail safes, without having backups. And we just aren't built like that. Um, I, I did a tweet this morning. Pretty proud of myself. Um, <laughs> thought that was and, the end of the sentence. Because <laughs> it's 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 the old thing, right? If if you didn't tweet it, then you never really thought it. But but it's not all that timely. So Jen, I'm going to bounce this off you, and and you can you can tell me if I'm onto something or if I'm if I'm not drinking water in this glass. But um, this team or this franchise to me is in an interesting period of time where that they run the risk of being the Theo Epstein era, Chicago Cubs, but without a world series. I hated series, that tweet, by the way. <laughs> without a world series ring, because you have displayed a struggle. Now, Alec Manoa for a year and a half was fantastic. So there are exceptions, but that you have shown you struggle to develop pitching and, and give me all the Tiedemann talk and all the Klofenstein talk you want, but they're not here yet, and they ain't coming tomorrow. They've struggled to develop pitching. They are getting underperformance relative to expectation, and yes, I'm thinking Vladdy uh, in particular, from some of their young star core players as those players get expensive. If you followed the Cubs, think Schwarber, Think Javier Baez, terrific defender, but strikes out 340 times a year and occasionally runs into a hanging curveball and hits it over the fence 30 times a year. I think the Detroit Tigers might regret that contract uh, a year and a half in, the, the monster one they gave to him. So to, to, I see similarities there, and I also see similarities in that the Cubs were playoff, uh, made playoff appearances in 17 after they won in 16, and in 18, but really fell off a cliff in September just to make the wild card game, blew the division that year, missed in 19, 2020 doesn't count because it was a crazy short year for everybody. And, and so, Jen, I'm interested, do, do you see the parallels that I think I see? Yeah, I, I, I really do. I, you know, we just talked about the payroll and that this is the most they've ever spent you can spend a lot of money and not spend it well, right? You can end up having nothing to show for it at the end of the day. And I am afraid that this team has perhaps spent their way into that position. You know, how do you spend that much money and not have a viable, you know, six option to step in as a starting pitcher should there be an injury or severe underperformance. And, you know, especially when one of those pitchers you're banking on, Kikuchi, had a terrible season last season, right? How do you step in and present yourselves as true contenders when you haven't addressed that glaring issue, right? Um, th things like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I do fear that they are going to be sort of on the fringes, playoff contenders, 
Maybe they make the wild card here. Maybe they don't sort of season over season until, you know, they're forced into, you know, either offering these massive contracts or these players walk and, and they're sort of starting from scratch again, right? They're, re, they're rebuilding. I don't know how an organization goes without developing starting pitching. I really don't. Um, I mean, obviously the teams do because this is not the only team, but, you know, when you fancy yourself a contender, I, I just, I, I have questioned a lot of things and, and, and I, I've been, you know, open that I do think Atkins is on the hot seat. If they don't make the playoffs this season, I really do think that there's going to be a question, a big question mark sitting over his head. How handcuffed the team is come the off season does worry me. And it kind of disappoints me because if you go back two years, it felt like they were so set up to come 2023, truly be in a spot where maybe they did have a little bit more uh, leeway with, with some of the decisions that they had to make. It's like Jen just said, like they almost have put themselves in a place where they need to sign Vladdy or Bo or they need to cross their fingers and hope the stuff works out over the next year or two. And that maybe they can be a wild card team that, because listen, this is a team that if they get into the playoffs could do some damage. They've got good pitching. I feel good about uh, even if Manoa doesn't make a comeback this year, even if it's Barrios and Bassett and Gosman, I think those are three guys with, the caliber of stuff to carry them through until at least the championship series. And you never know. I know we did just, and I, I, I don't want to bring this twin series into it, but before the twin series, they were 10 and three against with four series wins against very good teams. They played tight baseball too, right? Low scoring, good pitching, good defense. And they, they just kind of, through a battle of attrition, won those games, right? But yeah, their hands are tied at this offseason. Like how much more money are they going to go out and spend? Well, their hands are also tied at this trade deadline. Yeah. Right? Like because... unless they're going to bump themselves into the next luxury tax. Like I think I was looking at it. I think it's 1.25 million they have before they're in that second tier. I don't know if they would be prepared to do that. You'd hope so, but... So where, where does the solutions come from then? Because, I mean, I just have a hard time with the comparison of the Theo Epstein Chicago Cubs because he, he was five years into his time with the Cubs before they won. If he didn't win, didn't end the curse of uh, the Chicago Cubs, that whole Epstein era would be viewed differently, right? Like it's oh, a little yeah. bit, yeah. It's, a li and it's the same thing with like, Alex Anthopoulos gets viewed with such rose colored glasses in Atlanta because he went to Atlanta and immediately the Braves like world series champion and, and look at all he's done. But like, it's a little bit unfair when playoffs is such a crap shoot, even if everything's equal, you win it one out of 30 seasons. So it's a little bit of a yeah. crap shoot to go. Well, we're at this point. He's a total bust. Like what, what, what if they win the next two? What if they win it this year and next year? Is he the greatest general manager in, in, in the league at that point? Winning matters. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> the, 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 the way that you look at someone's history is completely skewed by their winning. You know, sure. like, so yeah, Epstein won. 
So yeah, we do look at it differently because mm-hmm. they have that banner. This this regime doesn't have shit. They didn't want anything. So and think, like they're well they're well, well into their tenure. As how many how many World Series do the Tampa Bay Rays have? None. None. Okay. Greatest front yeah, office but, in baseball. They, Zero but, rings. But they, yeah, but they do not have a two hundred million dollar payroll. That yeah, sure but winning matters. matters. Winning I matters. Pro- I probably have as many. I could probably pay half their payroll with my empties. Like that team puts a a winning team together every season with dog shit. And they just seem to find these guys and turn them into superstars. And then we they keep falling short of the ultimate goal. So what does it because matter? Because they, they don't they can't afford a, a fifty million dollar player. Like they just can't. You sure know? Can. Like, Every owner in major league baseball can afford a fifty million dollar player. Well, they, they don't organizationally that their owner won't let them. Choosing not to spend is is sure. That's an argument, but, but, but that, they can afford that's it. An owner. That's an ownership thing. You cannot fault their baseball development for not finding amazing baseball players. They have 11 dudes named Brandon Lau who can all hit 30 home runs. <laughs> hey, some of them are named Brandon Lowe, okay? It's pronounced differently sometimes. <laughs> all right. No, I, well, I, I will I mean, say. I hear what you're saying, obviously. Yes. It's just, we keep going back, like, I keep going back to this analogy of you can't evaluate the cake until it's done cooking. And, like, I will be the first at line 10 years from now to look back and go, yeah, this Ross Atkins era was a total bust. We, we wasted all these awesome superstar young players, but until then, like we could, we could win four of the next five world series. I wouldn't be surprised. We could also miss the playoffs for the next five years. That would be surprised. That's baseball. The problem, the problem with the cake is that it's done cooking. I think it's missing ingredients. I think we have obviously the wild card in, in Ryu. We don't know. It's yeah, how can you make any moves when you don't know whether Ryu is going to come back healthy? He could come back a stud and that changes everything. Uh, Manoa's rehab stint. Like there's so many variables that, I mean, any of us, if we were going to be armchair uh, GMs, we would be handcuffed by indecision right now. Right. So that's what I'm saying is, are any of these Ross Atkins fault? Is it his fault that Nate Pearson is now one of the best pitchers in our bullpen instead of one of the best pitchers in our rotation? Is it his fault that Alec Manoa got overused last year and is having the season he's having? Is it his fault that Ryu is you could off argue, the books this year? You could argue that it's his fault that Manoa had to be overused last season. And you I was going to say, it is his fault. And, there's no depth. depth and you can, is, you yeah. can argue that yeah. they don't have anybody to replace them. Like, you, yeah. You could argue that that they went into the season with no viable candidate to replace Ryu if it didn't work out. Like we don't have a backup plan. Yeah. I I hear what you're saying. I just think having like triple A depth is such a awesome thing to have and also very hard to to just get. It's like I don't know, it's like my wife telling me to just lose weight. Like I'd love to, that I'd have to put all the work in and do everything that I need to do. And that's hard. I don't want to. Well, there, I mean, they're also, they're also in a period, they're also in a period of time and it is the responsibility of the organization to ensure that this period of time is as limited a period of time as possible, where there is just nobody knocking on the door in the minor leagues. Right. I mean, there's nobody, there might be some people trying to knock on the door, but they're not, they're not kicking down the door. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and there are no, um, viable options there right now. Now there might be a, another wave down at low A kicking around in in Dunedin and Vancouver right now, but but they're not 
this year right. type guys. Okay. And we are in a window right now where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette will be coming up on free agency in two two plus years at the end of the 2025 season. The intention is to uh, legitimately contend each and every year for a World Series until then. You could argue that simply being in the playoff conversation makes them a contender. And if they get hot at the right time and go on a roll through October, yeah, arguably they they could win. But I, I just see, to Jack's point about the, the cake lacking ingredients, uh, I don't see enough here. Um, and and we talked about how Manoa cratering this year affected the plan. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is back to being a ground ball machine. And so there are some things happening that are, that are skewing the plan, screwing the plan up a little bit that could be corrected in season. Uh, but there are a lot of holes on this roster right now. This is, this is, and, and, and what will be fascinating to me, one of the things I want to track, and of course the Jays are going there for the first time this season, this week is, the record suggests and the record isn't the only thing we go by, but the record suggests the Baltimore Orioles have leapfrogged the Jays. And Oh, by the way, there are more kids coming in that Mm -hmm. organization that aren't even here yet. Mm -hmm. So, mm. I mean, one thing you mentioned, Scott was if Kevin Gosman goes down, this team pretty much folds up. And I think you can kind of say the same thing. If something happened to Bo Bichette, if something happened to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I know Adam, you brought up Atlanta. And one of the reasons that they're so uh, put on a pedestal is because they do have that world series in 2021. And it's really hard to see that 2021 world series where they won it without Ronald Acuna Jr. And to draw a comparison to the Jays and just take out one of those three that I just mentioned. And it just feels like this team isn't a playoff team without Gosman, Bichette and Guerrero. Like if any, anything happens and knock on obviously all the wood and everything, but there is a real lack of depth. And uh, it just, I hear you just to the point about Ronald Acuna jr. And everybody can poop on me if they want to for this. I don't think they win the World Series if they do have Ronald Acuna Jr. that season. Because that's just the crapshoot of sports. (laughs) I know he's a great contributor, but like that's the the exact same team can go to the playoffs 10 times in a row that season, only win the World Series once. They happen to have done it. Awesome. Like literal tip of the cap to the Braves for doing it. It is like it's it's a crapshoot. That's playoffs. Playoffs is such a crapshoot. Who saw the Phillies going to the World Series last year after the season yeah, they had? True. They yeah. almost did it. You know, yeah, rerun right. that exact same playoffs ten more times. The Phillies probably win one. Like if you had a a, a sports simulator, if that was a thing. Yeah, but Adam, I'd sure way rather be. Houston yeah. than be the Phillies, you know, and like need to rely on getting hot and crossing your fingers and just the right things lining up. But I, I agree with you too. Yeah. I agree with you, but that's also, I think this team is good on paper. I think we have the ingredients. I think Varsho is awesome. I think Chapman is awesome. He showed in at the start of the season. Like when he's hot, he's a, a great hitter. He's got it. He's streaky. That's fine. We have all the hitters we need. They're just underperforming right th- right now. That's the whole team. With yeah, maybe the exception have, of the like bullpen. The, the bullpen stinks. We have four yeah. starters right yeah. now. One, like, hold on. 29 fan bases say that every single season. <laughs> right, but so, I'm only concerned about this one right now. Sure. Yeah. All right. 
I like that. I, you mean, didn't I just Oakland. like, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't, we wouldn't be emanating out of Canada if we didn't say a boot and talk a little hockey, <laughs> Adam, Adam list me the last five, 10 Stanley cup champions and in order. And then also list me the last five or 10 president's trophy winners. You remember, <laughs> you remember the first one. You don't remember the second one. And there's a reason for that. And I say that acknowledging that being good over 162 is a bigger challenge than being good through a few playoff rounds. But October's where October's where you make your name, man. And if you go and look at Derek Jeter's baseball reference page, check that OPS plus. It's good. It's not elite. But he was on amazing Yankees teams forever and ever and ever and ever. And he always came up in the clutch or seemed to always come up in the clutch in those big games. And that's where he really carved his Hall of Fame career. The playoffs do matter. I mean, we, we play for, in hockey, the Stanley Cup. And in Major League Baseball, we play for, as the great commissioner Rob Manfred said, that piece of metal. Mm-hmm. All so right, I am going uh, to go to chat here really good. quickly before we move on to the next topic. Uh, Michael Borland sent us 14 bucks on a super chat. So thank you to Michael. And of course, anyone who sends a super chat, we will get to your question. Uh, he says, do the Jays pick up the Merrifield option? Although expensive, he seems kind of necessary since they likely lose Chapman uh, with no other prospects coming up. Jack would love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, he's been one of my biggest surprises this season. If I had to double down on wit, I would absolutely, uh, just really, really impressive, especially compared to last season where he was just kind of middling Garth for 14 million bucks. Would you bring wit back next year? Me personally? No. Yeah. I hate wit no. Merrifield, but the J 18 million, probably, by the way, 18 million. Yeah. Okay. That's I don't know. He, he's well into his 30s. He's having a nice season, but he'll be 35 next year. Yeah, 18 million for a 35-year-old. I don't know, man. Like that's that's a little steep. I don't know. I I just I feel like you not... can get a better second baseman on the open market. Of course, I haven't I haven't done the research on this. I haven't looked well, into I mean, the free can, agent get... market next year, but I think you could. 18 million just seems like a bit of an overpay for Whit Merrifield. Well, it is. It it definitely yeah. is. And I think that's the point Michael's making is like, is it worth the overpay being there's so little depth and they're no. probably not going to, to get Chapman? No, because we, we could like, I'm sure we could find a guy in the seven to $10 million range. Like why? I don't know. I don't think his numbers scream $18 million. Like that's, that's a lot of cheddar. I don't know, man. I just don't think he's worth it. Jen, Scott, either you have anything? to comment here is it worth it knowing that he can play more than one position maybe i don't know who are they who have they got chapman belt merrifield and varsho am i correct those are the four that they would have three, to decide what well, yeah varsho's got a lot of service varsho's uh, got varsho's locked down three uh, and a half. not varsho the who am i missing kiermeyer 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 oh my goodness sorry um how can i forget kiermeyer um, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to rephrase the question of those four Chapman belt, Merrifield and Kiermeyer, who do you off- make a qualifying offer to? 
And and who do you make it knowing that if they might sign? Because I don't think Chapman would. I don't think Chapman takes that. I no, want Kiermaier Kier would yeah, jump all Kevin. over him. Yeah, yeah Kiermaier would jump all over him. And I don't think you need to to do that. I think you can bring Kiermaier back without giving him whatever the qualifying offer winds up being this year, let's say 19 million-ish. So give him three years or whatever at a lower AAV. I mean, if he'll take three years, 30 million, I would love to have Kevin Kiermaier in this outfield for the next three years at that price. But I mean, who knows? Like the the thing with Merrifield, so it's a mutual option. So it kind of gets to what Jen just hypothesized about about Kiermaier like is is Merrifield going to talk to his agent and say do you think we can get term I I don't I don't need 18 a year but I'll take 10 a year on a three-year term I'll take three and 30 just so that I've got myself locked in for for the you know as I get into my later 30s or is he going to sit there and say let's exercise our half of this and 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 see what the Blue Jays do um, I, I, I think at his age, he, he might seek, he might seek the possibility of term if he has a good enough year, um, at a, at a lower AAV. So it may not be fully in the Blue Jays control, whether they're able to, uh, keep him at the one year number 18 is stiff, but I, I just, it, in this day and age, I really am less concerned about the dollar amount than I am about the term. Mm-hmm. And because you've got Bo at a fixed number, you've got Vlad who will get whatever he gets in arbitration. You can kind of you can play with that eighteen uh, million dollars if you if you don't feel that there are better options out there. If 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 you had to make a decision on exercising the remainder of a contract for Whit Merrifield that was like three years beyond this, then then you walk. But yeah, the, the I, one I year don't... dollar doesn't bother me. Yeah, Mer- I mean, Merrifield, I don't think was worth 18 a year. No. Um, but at all. Think of all the pitching depth we could sign for 18 million. Well, <laughs> all the sixth and seventh pitchers we could I'm add. I'm just saying, like, he obviously isn't at all. It, it depends on who they think they could get instead. And then do they actually do so, right? So I, I really don't know. I, my inclination is no overall, but I the, there's definitely an argument to be made uh, to to maybe try to talk to his agent and see about a bit of term. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, I, I think we want to keep Kiermaier, uh, not just for his playing ability. Like there's something he brings to the culture, to the clubhouse that I have not seen from other new members of this team that you really love to see. Uh, he's really, he seems to be the one that's gone all in on the organization and the fan base. And you really do love to see that from a new acquisition. That is such a great point, Jack. And uh, just a little uh, comment here from the chat that I think fits in nicely with this combo, which is New Brunswick, Canada guy says, Ryu, 20 million coming off the books. And I mean, that is a healthy chunk of change. And I mean, you don't necessarily need to reinvest in Whit Merrifield. I mean, there is going to be money to spend. But I... But that that 20 million, Whit doesn't pitch. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, but yeah, we don't know. Pitch. We don't know if Ryu pitches either yet. Like, <laughs> no, I, I, that, but that's what I mean. But like, that money's coming off the books no matter what. And to say, well, we could, you know, spend eighteen of that on wit. Like, okay, well then, who's pitching? Like, you know, that that's part of our pitching investment. 
which is we have a problem at depth with that. So why are we spending it on a second baseman who's having an okay year? Okay. So Garth, you genuinely think that we should spend $20 million on starting pitchers that we stash in AAA and, and sit on? No, no, we, but we, we should have us. We should be able to, we should be able to have a guy that we can call up and know we're not going to get embarrassed by. Like our best option right now is Casey Lawrence. Like that is really not good for a team that says that, you know, they they can win a world series. Like it, I just don't know how many teams genuinely have a four ERA at the major league level sitting in triple a waiting to go. I think, I think, I think the issue is you can't look at all the major league teams. Look at the teams that are consistently good. The Dodgers, the Rays, like these, these teams have guys, the Astros. Oh, the Dodgers have Noah Syndergaard pitching to a seven ERA right now for them. So I think yeah, if they look, had a guy look, in AAA that would, could give them like a four they, ERA, they'd probably they bring seven them up. Guys are like they half their pitching staffs on the IL. Like depth can only go so far. I mean, if you have, you know, you lose Walker oh, Bueller, and Dustin May has problems, and uh, you know, like all these guys are coming down and gone, Gonsolin, Like all these guys are getting hurt. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. We can't have one pitcher go down. Like if Gosman gets hurt tomorrow, like falls down some stairs. This team's done. They're cooked. I guess that depends on how many beers he was. Yeah, back in the club yeah. yeah, his rally, rally beers. beers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for the question there about Whitmerfield, Mr. Michael Borland. Uh, since we're on the topic of pitching depth and the bullpen day that was yesterday, saw what was it? Three innings out of Trevor Richards. Uh, Anthony Bass is gone. Let's talk about it. Scott, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on uh, the whole Anthony Bass saga? Which Scott? Yeah, you, Scott. The one that I'm looking at. Oh, Sorry. You can't tell when I'm looking at my webcam uh, where my I eyes mean, are going. Yeah. So I, this whole situation has been really frustrating as a Jays fan to watch unfold in the way that it has been dealt with. The one thing I do, and I, I, I will let the panelists kind of kind of take the, the reins on this, but I did wish to say that there has been a lot of talk about how much the organization has bungled this. Like, we're kind of viewing Ross Atkins as like a clumsy waiter where he's just like, how is he keeping all these plates up? And maybe this is a more insidious kind of view of it. But I honestly believe Rogers, the boardroom are high-fiving each other right now. Like, I think that this truly played out the way that they had intended it to play out. We're talking about a billion-dollar corporation with the highest-paid PR teams money can buy. I think they tried really hard to thread the needle between avoiding being on Fox News and, and all the – and that's the thing to remember, too – And it is disgusting and I hate it, but there's probably 15 to 20% of the fan base that agreed with bass. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to, and I mean, Rogers proved this in this whole debacle is that all they give a shit about is money, right? They want, they want the money from the LGBTQ plus community. 
They want the money from the bigots. They want the money from everybody in between. And they're trying to keep everybody as happy as possible to still come out and spend their money on the Blue Jays, go to the games. And I almost hope I'm wrong. Like, I almost hope that this was a big bungle job and just they were being idiots and and totally tone deaf and everything. But I feel like this was a little bit more truly the the plan and the road they wanted to go down there are questions i have like why did they decide to get bass to pitch or uh, sorry catch the 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 pitch there uh to start the pride series and i i don't know if that was even part of the plan to help push him out like maybe he would push back on that anyways i'd love to hear everyone's opinion on this but i did just want to start with just talking about i i don't believe that this was not a planned set route that they had taken their time to whether, and it's a shit route, but I, I truly think this was a PR group. Uh, effort. Yeah. I will say, I, I feel like they were trying to take, uh, and if you're familiar, if you're not familiar with Toronto municipal politics, I'm sorry, but they were taking kind of a John Tory approach. They were trying to stay and it is Rogers. So I guess that is fitting. Um, they were trying to stay right in the middle without kind of, you know, angering either side. But in doing so, they angered both sides. <laughs> uh, and, and and what you have is a case study on how to alienate a fan base. Like, you couldn't have botched this situation more from a PR perspective. But the only encouraging takeaway I have from it all is, is that I think we learn that fans can really make a difference if they make enough noise. Uh, so, I mean, I have a lot to say about this, but, but I will let Jen but, get her but, thoughts but in. Jack, uh, but Jack, uh, Atkins said that had nothing to do with the situation. Okay, it well. Only, it was a totally a baseball decision. Well, yeah. I so, mean, that was that was some BS. But Jen, I'll let you go. So, I mean, I have a lot to say, too. And I don't really know where to begin. And I'm probably not going to end up getting all of it out, at least not in this one moment here. Um, I've heard three different things. Three different things have been reported uh, regarding Anthony Bass catching that ceremonial pitch. One thing that I read was that he offered to do so. One thing that I read was that the person throwing the pitch suggested he do so. So I don't know which one of those is true. I did hear that the team had maybe asked Bass not to catch it and he chose to do so. So I, I don't even know what of that is true. It's really impossible to judge what went on there when it has been completely inconsistent uh, reporting because I don't know what order any of that happened in. Um, so that I just wanted to bring that up because, I mean, it would have been, a, it absolutely would have been a, a, a bad look. I was at that game. And I was imagining before they DFA'd him, I was imagining him catching that pitch and the stadium booing and this person out there throwing this ceremonial pitch, you know, being part of that moment and just the absolute nightmare of that, that scenario. And I just thought like one way or another, this, this can't happen. Right. So th that was, that was a lot going on. Um, I don't know whose decision it was for everybody to speak to the media on Thursday. Um, but that really did not go well uh, <laughs> from anybody. It, it, they, everybody would have been better off if nothing had been said on Thursday. And I don't know. I don't know how any of that came about. 
I think with regards to some of this, why it dragged on, why Ross Atkins said what he said, and it doesn't seem to necessarily line up with how things played out. Something that no one has talked about is what the role would have been and the consultation with the Players Association, right? The um, union, absolutely. There, That absolutely, I'm sure, is a factor in in at least part of this. But I I'm think- not saying that this should have been handled the way that it was or that it couldn't have been handled better. I'm not saying that at all. But I just haven't heard anybody even talk about the fact that there, the, the, the Players Association would have been involved and that might have hamstrung everybody in terms of how long it played out for or what could be said publicly versus internally. I mean, that being said, like they gave Bass a platform. They let him speak before media under the guise of an apology and and shoehorn in words like choice and decision that I think were, you know, only further incensed communities that were already angered by his comments. They put him on a platform and said, say here, do your apology. I don't know if that was vetted. If it was vetted, that was a disastrous vetting job because you can't let a person go before reporters after that disaster and say essentially that he believes people's identities are a choice. That is what Bass did. And you know what? I think some of this falls on the organization for putting him out there and and allowing him to make that statement uh, and and not immediately denouncing it either. Not coming out an hour or 20 minutes later and saying, uh, Anthony Bass made some comments. He, uh, He suggested that people's identities were a choice. That is not appropriate. No, just silence. And eventually, a few hours later, they quietly try and DFA him on a Friday when no one's paying attention. You know, it was a Friday night. I really thought a statement like that should have been made by the organization after his original apology. Agreed. Agreed. And and like I said, I have absolutely no idea whose idea it was for anybody to speak to the media on Thursday. I mean, you know, I I, I don't know. that it couldn't have gone worse, right? It just it on was. Just on just on the DFAing um, and and a players' union involvement. If you are designated for assignment, you are guaranteed the salary you were owed by the team DFAing sure. you for the remainder of the season. So there's no, no financial penalty here. So and teams DFA people all the time. That teams have DFA'd players in the past who have been coming up on a certain number of at bats that would vest the next year's option and they'll chop them so that they don't, you know, re- reach those number of plate appearances, stuff like that. So I, I'm, I'm not sure if, if that's at play here, but okay. I, you know, can I, I'll just, if you don't know who I am and you're watching, I'm gay. So I'm, I'm going to come at this from a, a the perspective of somebody who who is a member of the community that apology, the initial one, was written for him. Mm-hmm. And my understanding, when you heard him describe the pride community, is that the team was concerned he'd mash up the LGBTQ plus letters and potentially even roll his eyes uh, while doing so. So they tried to simplify this for him as much as possible. The problem is, is that sometimes you you get caught in a situation and I don't want to hammer on the blue Jays PR department here because they were put in a real tough bind, 
But one of the things that Bass said that day when he apologized to the pride community is that he has close family members and friends who are members of the community. Now, that's the old, you can't call me racist because I'm friends with somebody who's black shield that people like to throw up in situations like that. My interpretation as a gay man to a bullshit apology like that, to say nothing of the fact that he was huffing and puffing like he was running out of breath and he spoke with all the lucidity of the dimwit he is, is that if you're telling me that you're reposting on Instagram memes from your church group that call homosexuality a lifestyle that is demonic and satanic, and you have people in your life who are close to you, who are in the community, that tells me at best you mistreat them and at worst you abuse them. Your apology which wasn't an apology because it wasn't his words. He was just doing his best to mash up something the team came up with for him. Your apology, in my view as a gay man, actually made things worse. Worse. And then the next couple of weeks unfolded, and uh, it was a complete and total train wreck. I just want to offer... Um, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins don't like being pushed back on. And anybody who has worked for them, and I'm when I talk about being pushed back on, I don't mean people who hammer them publicly. Like, I mean people who have the ability to go into their office as a subordinate and say, you're not handling this properly. This is how we need to do it. And then come to some sort of arrangement that works that is actually functional when you fire people who aren't yes people this is what you get there was nobody to tell the general manager that he wasn't handling this properly to offer him an alternative because he's waxed all the people who have the experience and would have had the willingness to help him with that this was complete and total incompetence. And to your point, Scott, sometimes it isn't sinister, it's incompetent. And those two can be very difficult to differentiate because sometimes you can't believe people could be that stupid holding the positions <laughs> they do, so they therefore must be sinister. No, they actually are that stupid. And they are weak <laughs> leaders. They are weak leaders and people who have been close to that team and have worked for them will tell you that the culture and the values, which are just words that they always put out there, are not reflected when the doors are closed. And it all came out. It only takes one ugly incident to show people who they really are, because when the shit hit the wall, they couldn't clean it up. So culture, values, just words, just HR spin, corporate glad-handing lovey-dovey bullshit that doesn't mean anything until it has to. And then when it has to, it's a nothing burger. They failed, it's ugly, and they wear it. Well said, Scott. Uh, that was awesome, man. Yeah. yeah I just was... I just want to bring uh, attention to- And they're to... cowards. 
the fact Mark that Mark and Ross. You, Where like, you is started, Mark? Like, why Scott, have we not heard from Mark? Scott, Sorry. hold on just a second, Jed. Scott started the whole episode by saying he made some new friends very sarcastically uh, through this whole process. I just want to say a lot of people in the comment section right now are loving what you're saying, Scott. So there you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, Jen. Um, uh, by the way, if I could just and and um, I will declare my bias. Uh, because I was on the beat for a number of years. I, I want to personally, and I've done this in text, I want to personally thank Shai Davidi, Gregor Chisholm, Caitlin McGrath, Keegan Matheson, and I hate doing this because I'm going to end up eventually forgetting people. They banded together as a beat, Rob Longley, they batted, banded together as a beat and did not let this team off the hook. And, and this was journalism well done by a lot of people working for competing entities over the last couple of weeks. And it's partly why uh, we're here. That, that's a great point, Scott. And that was sort of what my viral tweet was about. People trying to tell the reporters to shut up. But and, to, your, and... to your question, Jen, yeah. to your question about Please. where was Mark, Ross is Mark Shield. And what's funny is, is John Schneider is Ross's shield. And John Schneider spoke more, the most eloquently and the most authentically about this that first day after Anthony Bass's 32nd, whatever that was. Well, yeah, I won't that... call it an apology. And it's not fair to John Schneider either. Um, but these are, these, these are all people who don't want anybody who isn't a yes person around. And it's a buck passing, ass covering operation, and you saw it play out. I I so, had to give John Schneider a lot of credit for the questions that he answered on that uh, initial day, um, because he really was sort of thrown under the bus. I felt right to have to be the the, the man to to stand up there and, and answer those those questions. Um. And based on what he said, it, it sounded like more action would be taken. In fact, I think he said this isn't the end of this, right? Like, you know, um, and and then for it to have kind of gone on the way that it did, you know, uh, and I know I, I totally, Scott, you're you're right. Well, Bass, Bass met with met with Sherwin, uh, Sherwin Modest, right? The the head of Pride yes. Toronto, and had that conversation with him, and they thought that maybe that was going to start a bit of a relationship. Look, I have no problem with with trying to come I you know trying to come out better for this when Kevin Pillar yelled the three letter f word at Jason Mott in Atlanta in 2017 I had my own radio show on TSN 1050 at the time I did the first now I hadn't come out publicly yet but I was very much living my authentic life personally and and I said you know Kevin Pillar has a chance to grow this doesn't have to be a disaster and you know what Kevin Pillar did Kevin Pillar put the work in. Yeah. To Kevin Pillar's credit, he put the work in. And and but you could see that Anthony Bass, Anthony Bass, he's he's 35 years old and he has lived the fundamentalist life since he probably started going to Sunday school at two or three years old. And all this crap out there about transgender people grooming and stuff. Yeah. And if you're being told something's true at two, three or four, and you're going to be disappointing your family and the social circle that's been created for you, if you go against it from that tender in age, it's going to be really hard to break habits and points of view that you have. So I can be sympathetic 
to Anthony Bass in that area, but man, you just don't get it. You don't get, it's not a choice. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely chose to be gay because man, it's a pure joy having asshole politicians in the United States litigating against people like me as a way of fomenting support from their crazy ass base. Well, they just cut taxes for the rich and onward the 99% of us go being close to broke, you know, fighting each other over the lifestyles of other people. I, I'm not going to hijack all this and turn into a socialist. But but what I'm saying is, is like, it's just, just honestly, honestly, I am not trying to groom your kids. What I'm trying to do is if your kid is the queer one in his, her, their class, and they grow up in health classes in the late 80s and early 90s like I did, not seeing themselves reflected, you become one fucked up individual from about 12 to 35, I raise my hand. So uh, we ain't grooming anybody. We're just trying to make sure that every kid feels seen and understood as they learn about the changes they'll go through in adolescence and 98 or whatever the hell percent of them are going to be cisgendered straight individuals. But those who aren't will actually see themselves reflected and maybe just maybe they won't spend as much of their life suicidal like I was. Here, here. So if you're against that, fuck off. I think that was perfectly said. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would clap if it didn't mess up the audio. I wanted to tack on one point, and I also want to circle back to what you said about Kevin Pillar because I think that's a very interesting precedent for how an apology Jack, should go. Can I can I hit pause for one second on this? Absolutely, and, and I'll throw right back to you. I absolutely. This is literally the worst possible time for me to cut out, but I need to take, take my little sister. sister to the airport <laughs> right now. Uh, but I did just want to say, like. Scotty Mac, it, I have been a fan of yours for years and it is very, very cool. You Ditto. came on the show and to just how well you put everything that you just ranted about, uh, very appreciative here and would love to have you back sometime. Uh, all the best, Jack, right back at you, man. Like really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. And Jen and Garth, always a pleasure. Uh, yeah. Take care. You guys God. keep killing <laughs> what about it. Me? Yeah. Before, you, before you go, Scott, let me just say, I hope I come back sooner, but I know what double two ten is. So if you <laughs> want to have me back on that episode. <laughs> we will, we will have you back. Anytime, yeah, man. My man. If yeah. it makes you feel better, the two just means season two. So we're, you're much closer to like <laughs> episode 10 episodes. of season two. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we're okay. trying to appear All much right. more legitimate than we are. All right. Okay. Sure. All right. Everyone listening so in go. the chat. Thank I'll be you back on. I'll be back for season four, episode twenty. But I'll be back in between. <laughs> there you go, and I, we look awesome. forward to it. All right. It'll be a live Cheers. show. All right. Bye, Scott. <sighs> okay, Jack. Uh, Jack <laughs> back to you then. So I did want to just circle back to one point uh, about everyone that did work together to keep the story alive and going. I wanted to give a shout out to. Um, a social media user who arguably got this entire fire started. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. It's Johnny Giunta or Johnny Giunta. Um, he's the one that posted the uh, the thing on Twitter that just kind of set this whole thing in motion. Let's see what Anthony Bass is up to on Instagram. Uh, I think a lot of us probably wouldn't have caught this. 
I don't think it would have been a story as fast as it was if he didn't. So I, I wanted to shout out the social media users behind the scenes that are fueling this content. Um, but also Kevin Pillar, I think you really, you, you made some amazing points that I, I don't think I could come close to touching. But yeah, I, I think the league's response too. I mean, Pillar was suspended, right? And he, Ross Atkins flew from Toronto to Atlanta to deal with the situation, which was, to me, paled in comparison to what Bass did. It's day and night, right? Like Pilar, he he uttered a syllable of hate and he it was a horrible thing. There's no defense for it. But Bass doubled down. Bass said Triple. the thing. He tripled. He posted it, deleted it, reposted it, did the fake apology, did the second fake apology. He quadrupled down. Uh, this is a different situation. And it's it's just it's amazing how the team handles two situations that really have the same bones. They have they have the same hatred behind them, but it it's just was it the word that was used or was it the fact that Bass didn't say it? I am struggling to find what it is that didn't violate the league's anti hate policy or the team's policy. Like why is this different? Why have we regressed since 2017? I was discussing this with the friend that I was at the game at that didn't, that's not grammatically correct. The game, never mind. The friend that I went to the game with on Friday nights, we were having this discussion and um, uh, that friend of mine is a gay man. And the only thing that we could come up with was that one happened on the field and one happened off the field. And I don't know, I don't, I'm, that's not, I'm not defending it. I, that was the only thing we could come up with for why they were handled differently. I have another one. I have another theory. It's that, it's that Bass spoke behind the shield of his faith. And that's something that was not done before. And you can do that now because we have seen precedent set by James Reimer and the Stahl brothers in the NHL of refusing to wear pride jerseys because it didn't align with their beliefs. You know, we've seen it in Major League Baseball as well. The yes. number of players on the Rays didn't want to wear the rainbow logoed uniforms for the same reason. Um, like, can I, I, I okay. go ahead, Garth? Go ahead, Adam. Just let, let me like, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. All right. I am very uncomfortable with taking the devil's advocate role. Then don't. I always. No, I always so, find myself in this where I'm defending Adam, agents when it comes to con. No, advocate. there is Garth. This is this is the point though. Is it is a nuanced conversation, and I'm not here to defend bigotry or anything like that. I'm just here but to you're ask. Power through, like no, there's no fucking defense yeah, for what Garth. He yeah, I'm not here to defend any sort of hatred. I'm here to ask for clarification. Okay. On a. I don't even want to call it freedom of speech and anything to do with Anthony Bass, but is there a situation and can people who are smarter than me help learn? Because truthfully, I had a really difficult time finding what the post even was. I hear a lot of inflammatory words being thrown at Anthony Bass that may or may not be deserved, but I had a hard time finding it for myself. So all I'm wondering is, is there a, is there a possibility here where Anthony Bass, who is a stone cold Christian 
maybe made a post that was inappropriate, but not necessarily filled with hate. And is there a chance that, that that's no. all this was? And no, a total botch job since then. Is there a chance? Benefit of the doubt. And I'm not saying he deserves it and he may be a monster, but for future references, and because we're having a conversation here about why was this handled differently than Kevin Pillar? This is where I'm just curious about where is there room for learning and forgiveness and education? And where is there an opportunity to reach across to the other side and go, Hey man, Anthony Bass, your fucking apology was a fucking joke. And if you really want to make things right, here's how you do it. Is there a way we can do that? And is there a way that we can be okay okay with the other side? Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Why the fuck is it up to the LGBTQ plus community to reach out to Anthony Bass to to see if they can find common ground? Fuck him. They have dealt with this their entire lives going back generations and as bigots like Anthony but Bass, it's communication that's going to be the the how we solve this moving Jesus forward. Because Jesus Christ, no, 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 he can go look, on the fucking look, internet like everybody Garth, else. It's not just about going on the internet. Because what I'm saying is, is that there is an opportunity here where <clears throat> maybe not in Anthony Bass's situation. Like I said, I couldn't find the post. I don't know it inside and out. But there are situations where then someone you, isn't you making a Garth. Just can I have a, a chance? You can have your chance to talk, buddy. All right. This is my this is my whole let me know when you're done. Do I need to mute you for a minute so I can actually talk? Are you gonna keep saying let me know when you're done every time I start talking? Okay. (laughs) This is a by just telling the other side to shut up, we don't actually have the 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 greater societal growth from this because Again, maybe Anthony Bass is a lost cause. I'm not, like I said, I'm sorry if it's coming across this way. I'm genuinely not trying to apologize for him or whatever. All I'm saying is he's not the only Christian, Catholic, whatever person who has beliefs that don't line up with mine and don't line up with, by the sounds of it, most of everybody on here tonight. However, Not everybody's filled with hate. So how can we learn as a collective Canada that like, hey, if you were raised in the church from the age of two years old, here's how we handle things better moving forward. Is there a way that we can look at it and say, hey, this is why that was not okay? Can can we have that conversation or is it just a no, shut up and just fucking it is what it is, because I just think that conversing about it like we're doing right now is more productive than just saying they're a bigot and 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 moving on like can we educate a little bit beyond that it it's a nuanced topic educate educate who though uh we're all i mean unless there's something i don't know i think we're all just kind of live and let live people yeah so who do we need who do we need to educate those who are siloed in their pleated khaki Sunday morning social clubs where they all get together with people who look the same, sound the same, believe the same. And they're told, they're told that um, they are to be lights in a dark world and that they should expect people like me and others 
to push back on their views. This is all expected. It's the notion of martyrdom. It's the notion of suffering. It's the inability to recognize that they, in fact, are coming from a place of privilege, and yet the moment they are pushed back on, they are martyring themselves. They go to the victimhood rule. It, this isn't so, this this isn't right wing left wing tax me a little bit less and cut my social services as a result versus tax me a little bit more so our social service infrastructure stays strong. This isn't right wing left wing. This is my right to exist as I am. I don't I need to meet anybody in the middle on that. And yet the Overton window has shifted so far to the right and alternate realities online have been created for people and proliferated by bad actors, many of whom have a lot of wealth and take advantage of those who are desperate and, 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 and you know, struggling to make ends meet. And they need someone or some group to blame because they can't blame the actual forces at play in the grander world. All of a sudden, I'm a demonic satanic, like it doesn't make any, no, I can't meet people in the middle who either want me to change the functional core of who I am in order to exist on their plane. It's not even possible for me to do that. So I can't meet them in the middle. So, I don't have, oh, sorry, so, I, I have not, I have not, I have not spoken on this at all, the entire segment. Sorry, go, 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 ahead, Garth. go ahead, Garth, go ahead. Scott, like uh, you all made great points. No, gay people do not need to meet in the middle. They do not need to put out an olive branch. They have nothing to apologize for. There is nothing that they need to educate anybody on. They just want to be left alone and be allowed to live their lives as they choose. The other side decides that, well, we don't like them, so we're just going to throw out hate speech. They are the ones in the wrong. They are the ones that need to ask for... to. Uh, for a dialogue they need to apologize and like i wanted to come at this whole topic from my standpoint as like how this has affected the fan base i'm not a gay man i'm not bi i'm not trans i wrote a thread about it and you've all read it i'm sure but like this entire situation like today's my last episode of the walk-off and the reason that is, is because I am no longer a Toronto Blue Jays fan. I cannot be part of a Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Like, I won't be educated enough about the topics going forward to be a decent, you know, commentator on it. I, I just won't. And I, I think the last year that I've been on here, I've been well-informed. I've, I've come prepared. But I won't be in the future because I'll never watch another fucking Blue Jays game. They need to mend some fences. I'm, I've been a fan for over 40 years, and they completely fucked this up. It is easy, easy. It's the easiest thing in the world to be a silent ally, to just put a fucking rainbow sticker on the back of your car and pretend that life goes on for gay people. But it doesn't. It takes conviction to be an ally. You need to stand up. You need to be willing to suffer the same consequences as the person you're protecting. And this team did none of that. This whole weekend was a fucking tra travesty. Like, it, it was a slap in the face to the entire community and to allies. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so tired. 
I'm so sick of listening to this. Like, if you want to talk about me educating people, I should let you read my DMs from the past two weeks and see how the fuck am I ever going to educate these people? They are lost causes. Okay. So thank you for that. And I under, I appreciate your frustration. I, I just want to, instead of looking at the, the situation of Anthony Bass, I want to look at the situation of someone like uh, my mother, for example, who grew up religious. Uh, when my youngest brother turned 18, he came out as gay. That was uh, 23 years ago now. Um, she loves him more than anything, but um, she still holds on to her belief. She's a, I would consider her, she would consider herself. My brother would consider her uh, an ally of the pride community. Um, but she still holds on to her faith and her belief in Jesus Christ and the Bible and, and all these things. Now, with that in mind, with that's, that in mind, those are two just, separate things. Yeah. Okay. But this is, what this, is, this is what I'm saying is here's, here's where I want to get with this interpretation is with the whole boycott of target, right? Just as a, for example, and I don't want to get into Bud Light, but with boycott of target, there were social media posts going around um, that were, uh, what do they call it? Like, like a, we all know AI mid journey generated images are getting so realistic looking now. There are images going around and you can Google them for yourself about these, like, and they're, they're fake, but they are being presented in social media on Facebook posts and whatever, as if they're real of these like children's apparel lines in like demonic clothing, not LGBTQ clothing, but demonic, satanic, whatever. Right. All I'm saying is if a person Take Anthony Bass out of this. If a person like my mom sees that post, believes that it's real, and then posts something like boycott Target because she's misinformed and thinks that they're genuinely doing something that is satanic and has nothing to do with her belief in and her love of her son and my brother, but she just thinks, oh, Target is doing something satanic and she posts a video. Should someone like her also be immediately canceled or like, how do we, those are the people that I want to say, can we find a middle ground and recognize that like there is some misinformation then, on both you, sides and it's a cloudy, to, shitty thing. You need to take your mom to the learning annex and get, get her to take a media literacy course. It's That's, not on the yeah. gay. It's not on the gay community to, no, it's not. It's not on the gay community, but that's on all of us who but, aren't but, necessarily a member of the gay pride no, community. But, it, it's all, but that, if you're we can't just write off 40 percent of our neighbors because they don't know how to do social media. Social media wasn't a thing until my mom was 50. Then so it's up, it's up to your mom. It's, it's not up to everybody else. It's up to your mom to learn. It's up to her to grow. It's up to those people if they want to like engage with your brother more and ask him like how he feels about this. It's not, it wouldn't even have necessarily occurred to her that this had anything to do with pride though, is, is my point. Right. Like, about? and when I'm reading Anthony, look, I'm like, I feel uncomfortable. I'm not trying to defend Anthony Bass here. And I'm then I apologize. Knock this Garth, shit off. I'm, uh, you're Jen, welcome to log off you. if you want Garth. I appreciate great, your I've time. I could tell you're frustrated. You. Jack Scott, 
You guys are great. Adam, thank you for all the good times. Give my best to Scott. I'm fucking out. I'm done. All right. Take care, Garth. Well, to uh, Jack, Scott, and Jen, my apologies if I have offended you, uh, Scott, as a member. No, of the, no, no, no. I, I, I just think, I just think, I just think we need to, I just think we need to acknowledge in general, mm-hmm, please, that you know there were three dozen people waving Nazi flags at the entrance of Walt Disney World yesterday. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so what kind of psychological terrorism is the intent there for people driving by? or people with kids who are thinking about entering the park. We need to acknowledge, that's one example, but we need to acknowledge that there has been a rise significantly in misinformation, that people are being siloed off, and that there are legitimately people who are living in a world now in their own minds that actually doesn't exist. And that is extremely, extremely dangerous, dangerous stuff. And, and so I don't know how you throw the fishing line out and try to reel some of these people back in. Um, but, you know, it used to be uh, not too long ago that the assholes with the hoods and the swastikas hid out in basements and had no compunction to be seen publicly lest they be dealt with. And now they're just in increasing number and with increasing frequency out and about. We're in a very dangerous and problematic time. And and I I think as a society, we need to reconcile that. And to Garth's point um, about, about not just standing by as an ally, but being, you know, well, they're upset about stuff and we just need to talk to them. No, there. Some people have gotten caught up. Some people with good intent have got caught up in bad stuff, but the bad actors perpetrating this, there is to be no negotiation with them. So, Adam, I think there's a obviously there's a significant difference between extremists and somebody like your mother, right? And we're going to leave the extremists over here. But somebody like your mother, and you're asking how somebody like her could be better educated on these types of things, I think that might be where real allyship comes in, right? Is that you, let's say, as an ally, could take your mother and teach her a little bit about doctored images or don't believe everything you see on social media and show her examples and that sort of a thing, right? I, I think there's different, there's different, you know, again, because I, I know the point that you were trying to make was more about people like your mom versus the extremism. I don't know that there's anything we can do to, to, to for with the extremists. But to me, that's part of what allyship is, right, is figuring out how we can take the people that are around us and help them better understand whatever it is that they are not understanding. Just to touch on uh, the point of dividing, uh, you know, the people that consume these types of memes versus the people that propagate them. I think it's important to note that not religion itself, and I do not want to offend anyone. You are free to believe what you believe in the society, and that's what makes the society great. But the reality is, is that fundamental interpretations of religion 
have been co-opted as a vehicle for neo-fascism. And that is the political reality we're living in now, where religion and and uh, extreme far right conservatism conservatism there's a lot of overlap in that Venn diagram and there wasn't a half century ago uh, but what I would tell these people specifically I would tell your mother Adam consuming these media this media is that your interpretation of Christianity and I mean look I'm not a Christian so I shouldn't be telling anyone how to view their own religion your interpretation should realistically be God loves everyone. And if it isn't that, maybe you're in the wrong game, you know? (laughs) You know, I would, I would add too to, to bring it back to Anthony Bass. And I, I use this example uh, in discussing James Reimer with some friends in the winter. Um, The tendency to pick and choose. So, you know, I think uh, I, I know certainly Jen, and, and I apologize to you, uh, Adam and Jack, if if you have been, and 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 I'm wrong about this, but you know, we've been in locker rooms, we've been in clubhouses, and one of the Ten Commandments is "Thou shall not commit adultery." And in professional sports, I can assure you that every day these athletes go to work, they encounter teammates who quite frequently commit adultery. I highly doubt, and I could be wrong, but I highly doubt peer pressure environment that Anthony Bass is sitting down with teammates who he may be aware are cheating on their partners or, or, or spouses and admonishing them. So we get picky and we, and we get, and we get choosy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's very easy to go after LGBTQ plus people in what are typically macho spaces um, where predominantly heterosexual individuals perform. And I'll just add as a sports fan, and I can't quantify this and I have no empirical data, I can't prove negatives. Uh, But I said this once to my good buddy, Arash Madani, and he was like, wow, I'd never thought of it that way. I said, Arash, you have absolutely no idea, and neither do I, how many potential Hall of Fame careers never got off the ground because that 8 10 12 year old child let's just use a boy as an example had a high-pitched laugh or maybe had something going on that was a little effeminate and they got bullied and teased off their teams and they walked away from professional sports so you yourself as a blue jays fan you yourself as a professional sports fan have undoubtedly missed out on people who grew up and could have been great at a particular sport, but never got there. Great point. I think, I mean, and, and this is also a point to Garth Sexit. How do we as Blue Jays fans reconcile that fact in this new era of, you know, disappointment with our franchise? How do we move forward? I was going to be wearing my Munanori Kawasaki jersey on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> It, it was, trust me, it's all folded, ready to go. But I thought, you know what? Like, I do not want to be wearing that logo right now until they get this sorted out. And how is that going to be going forward? Are we are people like me that are disappointed going to be buying tickets, going to games? Where does it end? How will the franchise uh, re-earn our respect after the botching of the situation? That's my question. Jen, do you want to take or I, I'm... I'm happy to jump in. 
I mean, so I think with anything, it's a, it's a personal decision. Um, and I, I would never sit here and say, you must do this if you are an ally. Like, I won't, like, I'll just, I'll, I'll share something personal with you. I, I have not been to the United States since 2019, which was for work when I went to spring training, when I worked at Sportsnet 590, the fan. And I have not been to the United States by choice uh, since before the 45th president uh, copped that election in 2016. And I'm not going back. That's my choice. I don't think less of friends and family who still choose to vacation in the United States have at it. I, I, like, I'm not, I'm not saying everybody must follow the Scott MacArthur train. I just, this is my choice. So however, you know, Garth uh, has decided that he's not going to watch the Toronto Blue Jays anymore and more power to him. And he'll come back when it when it's right for him, if it's right for him at some point. That's his stance. However, however you do it, um, you do it. For me personally, it's actually become easier for me to just slip back into my old reporter mode where I became objective. I've got a podcast with Richard Griffin. I enjoy that podcast. It's a hobby. And I have to watch Blue Jays baseball in order to be informed uh, and I need to talk to people in order to be informed on what's going on with the team. So I'm going to stick to it, but I will acknowledge that I am less of a fan of the team uh, than uh, I was two weeks ago, but I'm still going to stay informed. And I am, because I am out of the mainstream with no desire to get back in, I'm going to actually stop pulling some of the punches that up until now I've chosen to pull. Uh, which is, as an example, uh, that a lot of people who have covered that team for the last seven or eight years know who Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins really are. And it was revealed in the last two weeks. The veneer and the facade was pulled back. I was one of those people. I never talked about it. I'm talking about it now and we'll continue going forward. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, well, I am barely qualified to talk about baseball uh, on the best of days. I'm certainly not qualified to talk about such a nuanced topic. I'm grateful that I had. No, had but such, Adam, such you actually performed, guests, a, so. you performed a service, man, because you gotta, you gotta, it isn't even devil's advocate. It It's, it's actually important that you ask those questions and then you provide the example of your mom because we actually run the risk of being siloed off too far the other way sure. as well. Mm -hmm. And we got to remember there's this mushy middle of well-intended people who are just going about their lives and they're looking around going, Jesus, a bunch of weird stuff. The problem is of course, is that it's not, it's not equal. Um, bigotry, uh, creeping fascism. These are things that we must confront and be willing to do so either as LGBTQ plus people, as Jewish people, other targets. And we need straight, cisgendered human beings to come alongside us uh, because we do not need history of about a century ago in Europe rewriting itself. Well, I am grateful that you saw the intention behind my my questioning um i believe in in general that like a uh, good spirited debate uh, just strengthens uh everybody's education on both sides whether we're debating a, a serious topic like this 
or we're debating the merits of moving Boba Shett to second base. Right. So, uh, uh, again, once again, appreciate everybody's uh, time and contribution to uh, such a delicate and important uh, topic for tonight. We are starting to run out of time. So let's, in the last 15 minutes here, get to any other uh, fun topics that anybody would love to, to get to uh, that's maybe has an earwig chewing at their brain about right now. Uh, Jen, do you have anything that you'd like to talk about uh, before we get out of here? I, I I figured that this would take up the majority of the show as it should have mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, for once, didn't come prepared with 18 different topics that we could discuss. <laughs> um, if, if, if we had gotten to it, um, I was going to, and, and I guess I could, I was going to ask a, a, a prospect question. Um, and the reasoning behind that was because of an exciting young prospect by the name of Ellie De La Cruz right now, who uh, is a young 21-year-old prospect, I believe, in the Reds organization, um, who has generated a fair amount of excitement uh, in the last couple of days. And uh, he's sort of the, the trending topic on baseball savant. And what I was going to ask was, for you guys, what prospects whether it be a Blue Jays or just across MLB, what prospect have you been most excited about in the past to see come up to the big leagues? My answer is going to sting, but I'm going to just say Moreno. Ooh, that one does <laughs> sting. <laughs> yeah. Huh. yeah. So you're talking about point. like in history, Jen? Like it? At yeah, any it could point. be. It could be at any point in your baseball fandom. Yeah, hmm. I um. Uh, less so now uh, for some reasons not dissimilar to the Blue Jays, but I have been a Chicago Cubs fan uh, my whole life. And uh, do I have it here? My foul ball I caught from Wrigley Field is not at the table with me, but coming up on the 30th anniversary of catching a foul ball at Wrigley as a (laughs) 14-year-old in my first ever game, I'm, I'm just actually looking around. Where the hell is it? Disappointed I don't have it here. Um, But Chris Bryant. Uh, when, when Chris Bryant came up, uh, they, they took him second overall, uh, God, I don't want to get the year wrong. I want to say it was 2013 and the Cubs did, and he came up in 2015. Of course he, he grieved the fact that he was down in the minors for the first two and a half weeks service, uh, service time issues and all that at the time, but he won the rookie of the year in 2015. And then he was the national league MVP in 2016 when the year they won the world series and he slid headfirst into third base in a game in 2017. I want to say it was in Cincinnati, kind of wriggled his shoulder doing it. And that seems to have perpetuated a more than half decades long now run of, of a varying degree of injuries that have really curtailed his career. He secured the bag in Colorado, although not as much as he would have made if he had continued to be an elite player and injury free. But when he came up, man, that was really exciting. And it was, a uh, it was amazing. And the, obviously the ultimate payoff in, in 2016. It's a good one. Uh, mine, mine's a copo. Maybe, I don't know. It's Vlad jr. Mm. Um, okay. I mean, I, I grew up a Vlad senior fan. Uh, with the Expos and then the Angels. So 
than to hear like his son was going to be playing for my favorite team and all the hype around that. And then yeah. when he hit that home run in Montreal and the, uh, the preseason there, I was like, Oh, goosebumps, man. Goosebumps. My favorite so. part of that home run in Montreal was that the count started Oh two and he took, you know, we got a sense of his batter's eye at the time. He took three really close pitches, ran the count full. And then he hit that digger to win it. Were you at the stadium the day, Jen, in, in the summer of 2015 after he'd signed as a 16-year-old where they you know, they trotted him out with Vladdy Sr. and he took a little batting practice. He was in his Blue Jays gear for the first time and he was just ringing them at 16. Yeah. That was yeah. wild. Just yeah. crushing them. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, um, I covered Vlad's debut. Uh, I, so I remember being on Twitter late one night I guess I couldn't sleep and seeing this random tweet that they had an agreement with Vlad Jr and I couldn't be sure whether or not the tweet was real right like mm -hmm. is this is this verified information that I'm seeing here because it was like a handshake deal sort of thing right and uh and sure enough it was true and uh and I got to, I did get to cover his his debut um, which was pretty exciting. My answer is also a bit of a cop-out um, as well. I was really excited for Nate Pearson um, just to see, uh, you know, this, this, this big guy throwing that hard. And I really wanted to see what he was going to be able to do. And it is unfortunate the way that his career has unfolded at this point. Um, and that the plan had to change. And I didn't have particularly high hopes for him entering this season, but seeing him, you know, being able to be successful in high leverage situations out of the bullpen uh, is, is really gratifying. Yeah, that's a good one. Here's to a long career for him. Uh, yeah. You throw triple digits, you mix that breaking pitch in, you refine some things. He could be a high leverage guy for a long time. Uh, big time. I might be one of the top three arms in our bullpen this year. So, mm -hmm. uh, Jack, let's go to you then. What's your topic for, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I want to ask everyone, how many years do you really think we can stretch out the Roger center with renovations? What is the next move? And do you see a way we could take the bones of that building and turn it into a modern, not necessarily remnant of a multi-purpose ballpark? So are we talking about like, like bulldozing it and starting down? from the ground okay. up? Okay. Let me, let me give you like what I have in my mind and then you can tell me how crazy I am. Um, <laughs> so the only Avenue I see for the dome remaining in some form would be like, it would, this would be the mother of all retrofits. Um, so they have this material now called ethylene tetrafluoroethylene, which I know sounds wrong, but I promise is correct. <laughs> um, that basically allows, it's like a clear plastic material that allows enough natural and UV light to pass through a dome stadium to sustain natural grass growth without having to, you know, cart it all to the outside like you see in stadiums in Vegas and other cities. Um, taking it a step further, maybe knock out the hotel and open up sideline, sight lines to the skyline, uh, make it feel more like a classic modern retro. Uh, but I'd love to hear your guys' take. I have no idea what it would take. I am in no way an engineer, an architect. 
nor do I tend to have, you know, that vision. I'm, I'm, I'm not the most visual person. So simplifying it, would you rather see an entirely new ballpark or the Rogers Center's existence stretched out? Like I would love to see an entirely new ballpark. I don't think it's feasible. Fair. That, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too, is uh, I've never been a big, I thought, honestly, 2020, when we were not playing in Toronto, that was like our golden ticket opportunity to be like, we're on the road for the next year and a half, two years anyways. I mean, it would have been very spontaneous to to bulldoze the stadium at that point. But that was the opportunity, right? Because now to do it in an off season, to, to tear it down and, and put something up in its place. I mean, theoretically, timetable. It could be done in phases. You take out the roof in one off season. You play one season with an open roofless stadium. Um, it's it's doable, except the money part is probably not doable. Yeah, so, I just I just the thing with the roof is uh, you ever go to a game? I don't know how old you are, Jack. So the answer may be no. I wasn't alive then. But did you ever go to a game at Exhibition Stadium in April or late September at night? One of my earliest memories, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, even the coldest I've ever been in my life was a home opener at Wrigley. So I, I know what we're dealing with. Yeah, it, that, it's, that'd be chilly. Yeah. Uh, that, I, I if if would... we're doing it in phases, though, still feels like technically just a renovation, like a multi, a bigger, more ambitious renovation. It, it would be a renovation, but I think once, I mean, with, an, with a clear roof, and replacing the retractable dome, which is essentially the heart and soul of the Sky Dome. Let's not call it what it is now. Um, right. That's Once that roof is gone, that's a new stadium to me. Okay. It's a lot of concrete. It's a lot of concrete mm-hmm. to move. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and, and, and somehow then retrofit. I, you know what? And I would love to see it done. I just don't know that it can be done. Um, I was there, like I said, on Friday, it's the first game I've gotten to this season. I personally don't care about social spaces and whatnot because I want to sit and watch the game and will often go to games by myself so that I can just sit and watch the game. I don't really want to be standing around with a drink in my hand, looking at my phone. Um, but I did think that some of the new social spaces, we checked them out and I thought they were actually quite nice. It really did sort of open things up. They did a really good job. I could not care less about the second phase with the, uh, club seating underneath the 100 level. Um, I understand the the corporate reason behind it, but that's exactly all that it is to me. And I could not care less. I don't remember what the third, oh, I guess the is the third phase changing the seats or is that part yeah, of it? I guess that's, I, yeah. I think that's part, part of phase yeah. two, but yeah. Yeah, I that'll mean, be part of, yeah. They need to do that, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I These Jack, plans, yeah. Jack, I mean, they're not putting $300 million into this to do away with it in 10 to 15 years. No. Right? right. You know, they're... Well, Jack, you got to ask yourself... Sure. Is your concern with the roof, the playing surface? Is that like, because when you, it sounds like you want like a a UV light passes through it. So it's a factor. If if we were able to do, again, I don't know the science of this, but uh, indoor growing operations and synthetic UV lights were able to be installed. Is there a way? I mean, it might be cost. probably cost more than changing the roof. 
thought sure. drainage was it, always it might the be. issue too right drainage drainage okay. yeah i mean it's built okay. on a concrete pad uh you the i don't know lot is underneath yeah there's a lot of problems uh, yeah they but, jackhammered uh they jackhammered the concrete out from the infield cutout but other than that it is laid on concrete but there are precedents. I mean, we have public parks in Toronto that are built on top of underground parking garages. One just opened a few months ago. So that's it. That's not prohibitive. It may be cost prohibitive, but it doesn't prevent uh, you building a natural playing surface on there. In fact, these parks, they only have to be, uh, they only have to have the waterproofing liner underneath replaced every 20, 30 years. So it was... The University of Guelph did a study into this, I believe, a few years ago. Were they not tasked with trying to figure out whether or not it was possible to grow real grass? Well, it isn't with the roof. It isn't right. with the current roof. That's that's the main thing, I think. All right. We're not going to resolve this here no. tonight. No. But no new stadium. No new stadium. No new stadium. There goes my submission. I'm just going to scrap that draft right out of my inbox. Uh, <laughs> good question. All right. Uh, Scott MacArthur, then. Let's end with a topic that you would like to... Yeah, I mean, I, I'll I'll take the opportunity to do the shameless plug now. Uh, yeah, Richard Griffin, longtime Toronto Star baseball columnist, more recently Blue Jays uh, PR head, uh, is now uh, my co-host uh, on the Exit Philosophy podcast. And as I alluded to off the top, it's a combination, the title of the Exit Velocity Hitting Metric and also uh, the exit philosophy that Griff and I both have, which is that we've left the mainstream media. And not only that, I'm actually moving to Nova Scotia in the middle of July. Um, I spent a decent chunk of time out there uh, a little earlier this year and fell in love with the people, fell in love with the ocean air, uh, fell in love with the walking and the hiking. And I'd never been before. Um, and then when I was out there, I'm like, why do I feel so much at home here? It's almost like my soul's from here. So I've made the decision to dig up and, uh, and move out. Um, and awesome. here I am. So some people have said it's a midlife crisis at almost 44 years old. I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, I don't have dependents. Uh, so I'm just going to bet on myself head east and wave my hand awesome. to the side of the road. And maybe somebody will hire me for something. <laughs> Um, but I don't want to awesome. leave the media altogether. So uh, the Exit Philosophy podcast is uh, is up and running. You can get it on YouTube, shameless plug, and wherever you get your uh, podcasts, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you name it. So Awesome. What's the schedule for that then? Once a week, daily? What is it? Yeah, so we, uh, we record every Monday and we get the audio up to the audio platforms that day. Uh, Griff's kids, uh, all adult kids have been wonderful helps to us on the video editing side, but they also have real lives and real jobs. So that doesn't happen, uh, immediately quite as much. So usually we're up on YouTube Tuesday or Wednesday, but if you want to get us right away by no later than Monday evening on the audio awesome. platforms. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Well, thank you again, uh, so much for your time tonight, Scott MacArthur, uh, and yeah, there you can get more of them there at the Exit Philosophy. Uh, great name for a podcast. Jack, uh, tell us more about where people can find more of you. Uh, you can see my unhinged rants on blogto.com <laughs> and uh, Twitter, Jack underscore Lando. Uh, probably get a little spicier there than for the actual articles. Very good. And Jen? 
Uh, you can typically find me here and on Twitter where I am very good at making friends. Um, <laughs> uh, would love to do more, just hasn't been in the cards. Um, little challenging, I guess, as a, a freelancer or somebody who isn't able to do it full time uh, to be able to get an opportunity to write or to do something more. Um, but always, always open to the possibility. Um, Scott, I've listened to the exit philosophy. I think I've listened to every episode that you guys have put out so far, uh, and it's excellent. And I'm really happy to hear your voice again. Um, you. you know, I, I appreciate you referring to me having been in the clubhouse and stuff. I mean, that was, uh, in something that I worked hard to get to and it, it didn't last, but, uh, having done it, I, I feel pretty, pretty proud of. And Scott, you're, you were always the person like, like of all of the, 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 the sports broadcasters and all of the people that I listened to or read their work of you, you were the one that I always sort of continuously turned to. So, uh, anyways, thank you thank for, you. for your great work. Appreciate that, Jen. Thank you. Uh, very good. All right. Uh, thanks again to all of you. Thanks to Scott and Garth, uh, who dipped out early. Uh, thanks to everyone in the grounds crew who watched. We got up to about 80 tonight before we lost some of them during the Anthony Bass conversation, but that's fine. Uh, my apologies that our content has dipped in the last two weeks. Uh, I have a lot going on in my personal life as well. My daughter's mother had a baby. It is not mine, but that's why we weren't here last week. So again, thank you to Scott, Jack, Jen, uh, for rescheduling to this week. Uh, my wife just bought me a house. So Thank you for her for working a real job while I get to talk baseball for free on YouTube. Wait a minute. Uh, Can your wife buy me a house? <laughs> yeah. No, not in Nova Scotia. This is houses being bought. You get a house and you get I'm a house. I'm willing to be adopted or something. All right. Jen, I... Next time you're in Edmonton, come by. We have a next yard. Time I'm getting on a there will be ladder ball and bocce for the rest of the summer. So you're all welcome. Uh, but I appreciate everybody's patience uh, with our scheduling the last couple of weeks. It should get better. Uh, hopefully, the Blue Jays get better too. And uh, we'll catch everybody on the next one. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Walk Off Podcast with Scott Belford and Adam Mack with a new episode every Friday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>